Thank you, worship team. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of John chapter 16, the gospel of John chapter 16. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, rather. It is great to see you all today. If you're visiting here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life. And if I've never met you before, at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. And so if I've never met you before, please stop by to say hello um, and introduce yourself uh, to me. Now, we've been in a series looking at uh, life in the Spirit, the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be focusing on this theme today, uh, the shy member of the Trinity. And the reason why we wanted to spend 12 to 15 weeks or so on uh, the topic of the Holy Spirit was because there's three postures, as I mentioned that in the, in the previously, that the church tends to have. The church has either forgotten the Spirit, where we just forget the Spirit. Uh, we have feared the Spirit. Some people have had some experiences as it pertains to the Holy Spirit, and it was just like, uh, I, no thank you. And others have been forceful with the Spirit. And so we want to have the kind of appropriate focus on the Spirit that leads to freedom that the Spirit can give, and whatever other word that starts with the letter F that the Spirit can do for us, right? There's a lot of Fs there. Um, but today we're going to talk about uh, the shy member of the Trinity. And after the first service, somebody said, Rich, when are we going to start talking about the gifts of the Spirit and all that? Uh, we're going to get there, but what we're doing is we're laying a foundation for the gifts later on. And un until we understand what we're going to talk about today, uh, it actually would be dangerous to talk about the gifts without what I'm going to talk about today. All right? So uh, John chapter 16, when you get there, hold on to your place. Let's go to God. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we enter into this passage today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us with great power and give us revelation that the Holy Spirit gives. May we walk out of this building having encountered Jesus through the pages of Scripture in the power of the Spirit. So, Lord, open our eyes so that we may see. Open our ears so that we may hear. Give us a heart to receive every gift you want us to receive today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. One of my favorite things to do at night is to watch late night television shows, uh, especially the new ones that have come out with folks like uh, Jimmy Fallon. I like watching Jimmy Fallon at night, Jimmy Fallon, The Roots and all that. It's just a uh, pretty cool thing. I like watching Stephen Colbert, you know, his, his wit, his humor, the way he interviews people. I really appreciate that. Years ago, I used to watch uh, Arsenio Hall. Uh, anybody with me, Arsenio Hall? Am I alone here? No, no, boo, boo. The dog pound is in the house. Okay. Uh, I watch Arsenio Hall and all that. Uh, but uh, all of these uh, men, the Jay Leno's, the David Letterman's and all that, they all stand really on the shoulders of Johnny Carson. That Johnny Carson was uh, a man that brought, you know, late-night television uh, to its stardom. He, he's the one who really birthed it out there. And what was really interesting about John, the Johnny Carson's show was uh, the presence of Ed McMahon, the man right there. Ed McMahon was Johnny Carson's sidekick. And while Ed was an entertainer in his own right, for about 18 years, he was on this show uh, basically pointing the spotlight to, to Johnny Carson. And so the, it would start off by basically saying, here's Johnny, and then basically put the spotlight on Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson would do his thing. The crowd would go crazy. But the focus of Ed McMahon was to put the spotlight on Johnny Carson. As I've been in our text this week, John chapter 16, I began to think of the Holy Spirit and Ed McMahon. Okay, Holy Spirit and Ed McMahon. And I began to realize that the Holy Spirit is more like Ed McMahon than Johnny Carson. 
Ed McMahon says, here's Johnny. The Holy Spirit's role is to say, here's Jesus. The Holy Spirit is radically other-centered. And the Spirit's task, perhaps the primary task of the Holy Spirit, is to point to Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'd say it this way, or it's been said this way, that the Spirit is most present when Jesus is most central. The Spirit is most present when Jesus is most central. That is to say, there are many different signs of the Holy Spirit's presence in someone's life. Many different signs of the Holy Spirit's presence within a church. When we think about the Holy Spirit being present, we think, oh, if, if there are gifts of the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit's present. If there's healing taking place, oh, the Holy Spirit's present. If there are miracles taking place, yes, the Holy Spirit is present. And while that may be true, and all that I believe to be true, perhaps there is no greater sign of the Holy Spirit's presence than the centrality of Jesus. Because you can have a lot of gifts and focus on gifts and Jesus be to the margins. You can focus on the gifts of Jesus, but not focus on Jesus himself. But the Spirit is most present in our church, and the Spirit is most present in our lives when Jesus is most central. This is what I mean today when I talk about the Spirit being shy. When we think about shyness, we tend to think of someone being timid. We tend to think of someone uh, being introverted or what have you. But when I talk about shyness today, I'm not talking about temperament. I'm not talking about personality. When I talk about shyness today, I'm talking about a particular expression of godliness. And to say that the spirit is shy means that the spirit has no problem taking a back seat so that Jesus would be central. And this is what we see in today's text. Today we're going to look at one of the most important texts that speak about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and how this is to shape how we live every single day. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 12, hear the word of God. It says, I have much more to say to you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And these four words are what we're going to focus on today. He will glorify me because it is from him, from me, that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Those four words, he will glorify me. Let's take that together. He will glorify me. One uh, translation said it this way, that he won't draw the Spirit, won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what is about to happen and indeed out of all that I have done and said he will honor me. John 16 is a remarkable passage on the Holy Spirit. And we've been on this for three weeks now, on this one chapter, looking at the Holy Spirit. And I first mentioned that as we began this series a couple of weeks ago that this chapter begins in a staggering way because Jesus says to his disciples, it is better for you that I leave. And I thought about that. How could it be better that Jesus would not physically be there? I would rather have the physical presence of Jesus. Many of us would rather have the physical presence of Jesus. His, 
his, his just historical, physical Jesus rather than having the Holy Spirit inside of us. We want to be able to see Jesus. And yet Jesus said to his disciples, it's actually better that I go because if I don't go, I cannot live inside of you. And it's been God's uh, promise and God's desire from all of human history, not just to be with his people, but to be in his people. Now, last week we learned that the Holy Spirit that is given to us is not a silent spirit. The Holy Spirit is a speaking spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead us and guide us, wants to lead us away from sin and destructive living, wants to lead us to righteousness and an abundant life. And because we have the promise of God's Spirit inside of us, Jesus makes this staggering statement that because God lives inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to speak to you and direct your life. And so, Lord, should I make this decision or go here? The Holy Spirit wants to lead us. Should I, should I work there or work here? The Holy Spirit wants to lead us. For those of us that have romantic options, should I date this person or date that person? The Holy Spirit wants to lead us. Some of us don't have that many options. But for those of us that have options, <laughs> Lord, which one is it? Me, I was just like, I guess, you know, I have no options. You know what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit wants to lead us and guide us. But now Jesus starts talking about perhaps the central task of the Spirit. The Spirit exists to point to Jesus. He says, uh, Jesus says in verse 14, He will glorify me because it is for me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Notice something. The Holy Spirit doesn't want the glory. And although the Spirit is God, the Spirit takes a back seat. And to really fully understand John 16, we, we have to better understand the Trinity. And so allow me in three minutes to talk about 2,000 years of theological uh, ruminations here and content in three minutes here as it pertains to the Trinity. The Trinity is perhaps the most beautiful and mysterious teachings of the church. The Trinity is comprised of one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Notice that the Spirit isn't a force. Uh, the Spirit is not just an inanimate object. Uh, contrary to what uh, some religions believe, like Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Holy Spirit is a force or power, the Spirit, the church believes, is a person. The Spirit is a person. And this is uh, what the Nicene Creed, which is a statement of faith that's been handed down for 2,000 years, has affirmed. And this is what churches throughout the world and throughout time have confessed. That I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. The church believes in one God and three persons that coexist, co-eternal, and are co-equal. This is a mystery, and this is the best language that we have for it. But what I want to stress today in today's message is the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Because within the Trinity, there is no lust for power. Within the Trinity, there is no uh, spotlight hogging. Within the Trinity, there is, there is no one-upmanship of one member of the Trinity over the other. And just look at how the Trinity interacts with each other as it's recorded in Scripture. When you look at the Father, how the, the Father speaks so uh, lovingly and, and points to Jesus. So when Jesus gets baptized, the heavens open up and the Father says, this is my son. In whom I'm well pleased. Another, person, another verse says, this is my son, listen to him. And so the father is, is focusing on the son. Then you look at the son. The son doesn't focus on the son. The son focuses on the father. And Jesus is always bragging about his father. 
My father's greater than everybody. He's better than you. He's better than he, my father's, he's better than everybody. My father's greater than all. I only do what I see my father doing. He says to the father, Father, I want to glorify your name. Then the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit is not about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is about glorifying Jesus. And so what you see is the Father saying, oh, no, no, it's the Son. The Son saying, no, it's the Father. The, the Spirit saying, no, no, it's both of you guys. Yeah, the Spirit is the Spirit. It, it's this. As I thought about it, the only way to describe this was to think that the Trinity has this eternal game of hot potato going on. Eternal game of hot potato. After the first service, someone said, I have never thought of the Trinity and a potato in the same context. All right? So allow me to unpack this great revelation that God gave me. All right? Um, the Trinity... The way that the Trinity interfaces within itself, God's self, is like a game of hot potato. The goal of hot potato, for those, we've all played hot potato, yes. Uh, the goal of hot potato is, sometimes there's music in the background, that as soon as you receive the potato, the goal is to get the potato out of your hands. Tammy, let's demonstrate. Tammy, so you got the potato, catch the potato, Tammy. What are you doing? Oh, back there, they Joe, got, got the potato right there. Now, there. There you go. You guys are fantastic. I did not train them to do this here. This was just, this was live, everybody. This was live. And it's almost like the Father, Son, and Spirit play this game of hot potato where you get the glory. No, 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 you get the glory. When it comes to human beings, though, what happens is we get the glory and we just want to keep the glory right there. Just like, let me just hold on. Let me just hold on to the glory. Right there, right there, right there. And the world becomes me-centric. But yet the Trinity, within itself, within the Trinity, there's this other-centeredness. Where the Father is celebrating the Son. The Son is celebrating the Father. The Spirit is celebrating the Son. And what we see is, is Jesus had to tell the church in John chapter 16 that the Spirit's going to come to glorify me. And he reason, the, one of the reasons he said that was because Jesus knew that the church has a way of glorifying other things rather than God. The church has a way of glorifying itself. Well, the church has a way of glorifying something else. But the central focus of the Spirit is to lead the church in keeping Jesus as the central focus. The central focus of the Spirit is to lead the church and lead your life to keep Jesus as the central focus. But throughout the pages of Scripture and throughout the course of human history, the church has struggled to keep Jesus at the center. The church has struggled to keep Christ, his glory, at the center. And whenever the church moves away from Jesus, she ceases to be the church. And whenever the church takes a, 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 a Jesus takes a backseat in the conversation and in the life of the church, the church lives without any power. And whenever the church's allegiance is focused on anything but Jesus, we are in trouble. This is why during election season, we have to be careful as the church. Because it's easy for us to show our allegiance to political figures and political parties and disparage other parties that we don't adhere to. And all the time, although we might say that, yes, Jesus is central, the way we live sometimes says another message. And so while it's important to engage in political discourse, our allegiance ultimately is to the centrality of Jesus. And the way of his kingdom. That means that even though someone might get voted into the office that you don't like, the world is not over. That Jesus is the center and his kingdom is the center as well. 
And not only do we see this throughout the pages of history, throughout the pages of the church, we see this in our world today, that the world has a way of wanting to, and, and, and the people in the world have a way of focusing on self. That Christ is no longer central, or Christ has never been central, that we focus on our own glory, our own glory. When you look at, uh, through the news, there are certain figures that come up in today's current events that are about uh, their glory. I started thinking about Donald Trump this past week, and uh, there was an interview I saw, and uh, as the interview was in Donald Trump's office, there was a lot of magazines on Donald Trump's desk and stuff on the wall. And what was on his desk were magazines of himself on his desk. And the wall, Donald Trump here, Donald Trump, he was everywhere. And I thought, this man does not have a problem uh, he, he, he has a hard time being shy, <laughs> has a hard time being shy. And as I thought about this very extreme example of, of a Donald Trump who seems to be about all of his glory, um, as I was in the text, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit said to me, well, what about you? I hate when the Spirit starts asking questions like that, but what, what about you? And I realized that it's easy for me, and it's easy for us to focus on our glory rather than on the glory of Jesus. It's easy for us to live in a kind of way that's overly attacked to personal glory. That many of us need to be seen, need to be praised, need to be recognized, need to be affirmed. And life very simply becomes about us. About our money, about our status, about our career, about our accomplishments. And what begins to happen is our, our lives become about our well-being, our comfort, our status, our glory. We, we have what uh, a pastor named J.R. Vassar said, glory hunger. Glory hunger. He describes glory hunger in this way. He says, glory hunger is an inordinate concern with the attentiveness to oneself. But a world with everything orbiting around us will crumble. We are not God and cannot shoulder the burden of being God. St. Augustine has said that this way of life is the core of sin. St. Augustine coined this, this Latin phrase, incurvitus in se, which means to be turned in, to be curved inward, inward on oneself. That you want to know what sin is? It's to be curved inward on oneself. It's not the curving inward or looking within of contemplation. It's the looking within for the purpose of self-glorification. And, and, and this is, you, you want to know the posture of, of someone in sin? It is a, a perpetual looking inward. My glory, my status, my name. Me, me, me. We see some of this on social media, don't we? One of the more fascinating questions to debate over coffee is what, what it's, what's behind much of the narcissism of our culture? And it's almost like the, the chicken and the egg question where it's this. Does social media make us narcissistic or are we simply expressing the narcissism that is already within us? The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. There was a, uh, a study that showed how we use social media to feed our egos. Uh, there was a, a journal of computers and human behavior which said this quote here, that, that Twitter fuels young adults' narcissistic tendencies by acting as a megaphone for their thoughts, while Facebook fuels middle-aged adults' narcissistic tendencies by serving as a mirror where they can curate images of themselves. 
Very few of us post the pictures when things are going crazy in our lives. When we take a picture of our kitchen, the dishes are always clean. When we get our family photos and everything like that, the kids are never fighting at each other. We don't, we don't take the pictures after the kid has just put the toilet paper down the toilet. We take the picture while they're smiling. And this is why on, on social media, we, we tend to put our, our best, and I'm with you. I do it. I, I confess. I'm with you. We, we put our best uh, images forward. This is why it's so shocking when you hear some people, they get divorced. And you go, how are you divorced? Every picture that you put, you're having a great time. Make this thing work. You're at the beach together, at coffee together. I mean, are you having a great time? What happened? And they go, I'll show you what happened. Look at these pictures. Look at these pictures. (laughs) But we always show the best part of us. But as you know and I know, that's not the full story. And how much time do you spend curating an image that you want the world to see? Many of us spend a lot of time on it. And so this is our reality. But this is not the Holy Spirit's reality. The Holy Spirit does not have this issue. The Holy Spirit does not have this ego. And the question is, how can the Spirit be so shy? The book of Genesis begins that the spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. If there anyone should say, hey, can you throw me a bone over here? It should be the spirit. And yet, how can the spirit be so shy? I'll say it this way. The spirit can be shy because the spirit is secure. The spirit can be shy because the spirit is secure. The spirit is secure within the love of the Trinity. The spirit has nothing to prove. The Spirit eternally exists within this Trinitarian love, Father and Son and Spirit. And the Spirit is content with the role that the Spirit is in. And within the Trinity, there's perfect acceptance and perfect love. This perfect belonging. The Spirit never feels out of sorts. The Spirit is, is eternally enveloped, as it were, within Trinitarian love, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so within the Trinity, there is perfect acceptance and perfect love. Within the Trinity, there is perfect belonging. And if the Spirit of God lives inside of you, and the Spirit is secure, the Spirit that lives inside of you wants to make you secure as well. And so the Holy Spirit is in you. One of the reasons is to help you understand and experience the love of God. That this divine Trinitarian love that has existed throughout eternity. When you put your faith in Jesus, radically and miraculously is inside of you. And the security of the Spirit wants to make you secure as well. I know you've made mistakes, but you're loved by God. I know your life hasn't unfolded the way you want it to, but you are loved by God. I know you have your hangups, your ups and downs, but you, you have all, in Christ, you have already been accepted by God. I know you fear, feel invisible, but God sees you. He has invited you into this Trinitarian dance of love. Many people, we do things to, to earn approval. We do things to earn love. And many times we do good things to earn love. 
good things to earn approval. And sometimes we go, that person is so uh, proud, so arrogant. And beneath our arrogance and beneath our pride is longing, longing to be accepted, longing to be uh, received. And it's not that uh, receiving affirmation is a bad thing. It's not that receiving praise is a bad thing. Receiving praise and affirmation is a good thing. There's, we have to be, as a side note, we have to be mindful of this kind of false humility sometimes as well. That you get praise and all of a sudden you, you can't, you don't say thank you. So someone says, hey, great job. And you say, it was all God. I used to teach a class of preaching and um, what I, tell my, I told one of my students, um, hey, good job today. And the student would say, it was all God. And after two, three times of them saying it was all God, I just interrupted them. I said, wait a second. I said, no. If it was all God, we would be on our face repenting right now. It was a good sermon, but it wasn't all God. There was a lot of you in there. Just say thank you. Just say thank you. So good job to, oh, it was all God. It was all God. No, 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 no. If it was all God, it would have gone a lot much better than it did, all right? That's what the reality is. Just say thank you. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ, you have been fully accepted by God. And when you are secure in that love, you can be shy. Now, again, the shyness is not a shyness of personality, and it's not a shyness of temperament. It's a shyness of godliness, where your life is not about you being in the spotlight anymore. Your life is not about you anymore. It's not about you as being the center of the world. It is about, it, it is about the, the glory of Jesus now. And so if the Holy Spirit can be shy, you can be shy as well. Now, how do you know you're living life in the Spirit? How do you know that... The, the, the shyness of the Spirit is permeating your life. And as a result to you, you already living in the love of God, I want to show you some signs of if you are living in the love of God, this is how you know you're living life in the Spirit. When you're living life in the Spirit, first of all, you live in the security of God's love and acceptance. I know someone is, is filled with the Spirit when they are not trying to impress others. When not, they're not, when they're, and they're not impressed by others either. I know, I know someone is living in, the, but I know someone's living in their flesh when their entire life is oriented towards receiving something from someone else. Approval, acclaim, praise. I know you're living in the flesh when, in that case. But when, but, when, but when you're living in the spirit, you are living in the security of God's love and acceptance, which means this, that you can get criticized by someone. And the criticism doesn't break you. So many of us, we get, we get nine positives, and then someone says, but there's one thing. And that one thing, we think about that all week long. That one thing. But when you are secure in God's love and acceptance, those criticisms don't hit you as hard anymore. This is why prayer is so important. Because in prayer, what you're doing is, is you, you are participating in the, the Trinitarian life and love of God. Father, Son, and Spirit. And when you are feeling secure in the love of God, so what will you think about me? My, my life is not predicated on whether you approve of me or not. My life is, is, is based upon the love of God. 
And so you know you are living life in the spirit when you're living in security of God's love and acceptance. You know you're living life in the spirit when, when Jesus and his glory is central, not our glory. Not our glory. And this is why I, I need to pray the Lord's Prayer three to four times a day. I need to, not as just some religious duty. My soul needs to pray the Lord's Prayer every three, three four times a day. Where I say, our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Everything inside of me wants to say, my kingdom come. But to say, your kingdom come, as one person said to pray, God, your kingdom come means my kingdom go. And I need to pray it on a regular basis because throughout the course of the day, I, I might pray your kingdom, but I live my kingdom. As my daughter, Karis, when she first learned to our father, as she was three years old, she would say, uh, our father is in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name, my kingdom come, I will be done. That was her statement there. And I said, young lady, yes, if your kingdom come, you will be done. You will be done. I need to pray this on a regular basis. Because all too often, I don't live for God's kingdom. I live for my kingdom. I don't live for his name. I live for my name. I don't live for his glory. I live for my glory. How are you perceiving me? How are you celebrating me? Listen, some of you have been, you've been gifted and you've been privileged to get a great education. College degrees and graduate degrees and post-grad degrees and the like. To be shy means that we steward we manage all of that for the glory of God, not for our name. Some of you have been successful in business. You've obtained status and power. But to be shy means that we use that power. We use that status for the glory of God, not for our name. This applies to the way we manage our money. To make money is, is, is a good thing. But if the ultimate end of making money is for the glory of my name. We're not following in the way of Jesus. This is why generosity and tithing become a spiritual warfare. Where we're essentially saying, not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. Why are we volunteering? Why do we serve? We, do we volunteer and serve or do good things so that, uh, so that ultimate fame and glory would come to my name? Or am I doing it because I'm looking for the glory of God? The way we parent our children it's easy for us to parent our children for the glory of our name. Why did you get a 92 on that? You know, why aren't you getting into the best school? Who is this about? Is it about me or is it about, my, is it about God's glory? Is it about God's name? And it's easy to, on the surface to look like you're doing something for God's glory, but our motives can be so twisted we ultimately know I'm doing it for mine. A couple of years ago, I was watching a basketball game, and there was this point guard, and the point guard's uh, primary job is to give assists, that is to take the ball to pass it to someone else who can score. When that person scores, the point guard gets an assist. It's supposed to be other-focused. Here, I mean, pass you the ball, you score, and he would get an assist. What, I, what began to be really interesting is he started getting a lot of assists, and he started almost breaking a record. And it became, it became from here's the ball score to... Here's the ball, you better score. Because if you score, you're making me look good right now. I get more assists. I can break the record. So he passed the ball, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. The person would shoot the ball, oh, I got an assist. He get shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And all of a sudden I thought, he's doing something so good. He's giving the ball away. And yet, all of the glory is coming to him. And I thought, how, how is it possible that we could be 
doing a good thing where it looks like we're giving our life away. But at the same time, our motives are so corrupt that it's really all about me anyway. And the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit's task, again, the Spirit is most present when Jesus is most central. When our lives are radically other-focused on Jesus, that's when we know the, the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. This is why we can't talk about spiritual gifts until we get this right. Because once we start talking about spiritual gifts and who's gifted and who did what, all of a sudden it becomes about me. But these, ain't, these aren't my gifts. These are the Holy Spirit's gifts. It's the Spirit's gifts. It's not my gifts. And until we understand and get our character right here, we can't talk about gifts. But when we recognize, okay, God, is all about you. It's about your glory. Then the Holy Spirit says, now we can have a conversation about gifts and power and miracles. But unless we get this right, we're going to get everything else wrong. And so... You, You know you're filled with the Spirit when you are living for Jesus and his glory, not our glory. And one of the the great indicators of whether you're living for the glory of Jesus is this last piece here. You are focused on the flourishing of other people. Or said this way, you're genuinely happy when others succeed. I know I'm in the Spirit when I see someone else succeeding especially in an area like mine, and I'm able to celebrate with them. And I know I'm not in the spirit. When I see another pastor, another church doing great things, all of a sudden I'm getting resentful. Look, 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 look what we're doing over here. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is saying, well, whose kingdom is this anyway? And whose glory is this anyway? And you know when you're able to celebrate others and, and, and you're genuinely happy, and not only genuinely happy, you're working for their success. You're living for their flourishing. You know you're living in the spirit. But when it's all about, are you going to give me the credit? Am I going to get the shine? All of a sudden, we're living life in the flesh. I thought about it this week. I thought the, the, the Holy Spirit, what makes the spirit the spirit is the Holy Spirit is just fine letting Jesus shine. The Spirit's saying, I'm here to put the spotlight on Jesus. That's why I'm here. And this is the kind of life that God is calling us to as well. This is why John the Baptist was such an amazing man. Jesus said there wasn't a a man greater than John the Baptist who came from the womb of a woman. Because John the Baptist, one of his most well-known words were this. I must decrease so that Jesus may increase. What made John the Baptist great was everyone was coming to John. And John realized, oh, Jesus is coming. I must decrease so that he may increase. That's a good prayer to pray this week. Lord, may, me, may I decrease so that you may increase in my life. May my glory fade away. May your glory come to the surface. May my name, later from my name, may your name be hallowed. May your name be seen as sacred. The Holy Spirit is shy. Well, here's what's powerful. And I'm going to just say this and then we're going to take communion together. Not only is the Spirit shy, but Jesus is shy. Jesus had all the glory, but Jesus chose to dwell with humanity. He left his glory 
The glory of being eternally in this circle of love. All this glory, he leaves it. And he chose the path, the most inglorious path you can take. The path of the cross. There is nothing glorious about the cross. And Jesus, for the sake of the world, chose the most inglorious path, repeatedly saying no to the glory of the world. Whenever the the evil one would offer him glory, Jesus would say no. And he would say, basically, the, the world cannot offer you the kind of glory that God can. And so Jesus repeatedly says no to the glory of the world. And in the process, through his death and resurrection, receives the glory of God. And not only does he receive the glory of God, when we put our faith in Jesus, the glory that he's received, we are attached to him as well. And so listen, most of us, we we get settled and we, we are satisfied with the glory that the world gives. But the glory that the world gives pales in comparison to the glory that God gives. And the invitation to be a Christian is to perpetually say no to the world's glory. And say yes to the glory that comes from God. Do you want to be used by the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you how to be used by the Holy Spirit. Live your life in such a way that Jesus Christ is the center. His glory is the center. Because the Spirit is most present when Jesus is most central. Amen. I want to invite the folks who are going to come lead uh, communion down below and up here to come forward. And we're going to take communion in a moment. And we're going to do something so simple as taking bread and dipping it into a cup. But I want to tell you that as we do that today, the simple act of a piece of bread touching this cup is actually spiritual warfare. There's something happening beyond what we can see. And every time you take bread and you say, you're dipping in the cup, this is what you're saying. I am participating in the life of God for the glory of God, not the glory of the world. I'm saying no to the glory that the world offers. I'm saying yes to the glory that God offers. And when you take that little piece of bread, it's not just bread in the cup. It is something significant happening in our midst. And I pray that as we do that, that God would radically transform us from the inside out. Let's all stand together. When I ask that, you pay attention to the ushers down below and up. And when you take bread, dip it in the cup and go back to your seat and hold it before God. And as that bread is in your hand, as a sign of Jesus Christ, broken and bruised for you, poured out for you, love you. May we offer our words of repentance before God. May we say yes to the glory that God gives and say no to the glory that the Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we come to this table of grace, this remarkable table of grace, that you would help us recognize that we don't come in our name, we come in your name. Lord, we don't come in our performance, we come in your performance. We don't come in our righteousness, we come in your righteousness. Lord, if access to the table based on our righteousness, none of us could come. But we come in your name, in your works, in your performance, in your righteousness, living for your glory. And so, Lord, as we take the bread and dip it in the cup as the family of Jesus here, I ask that you would 
do a deeply penetrating work in our heart by the power of the Spirit. May we would live for your name and your glory, not ours. So we come to the table now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, together, follow me. And this is no small thing that we're doing here. We're not just taking bread. Uh, there is a, a spiritual warfare, as it were, every time we take the body and blood of Jesus. And in this context today, we're basically saying, I am not living for my name. I'm living for yours. So I want to give us a moment to repent before God. Every Sunday is an opportunity for us to repent, to turn the other way. But notice, we don't repent to get grace. This is the scandal of the gospel. Grace has already come in Jesus. It is the kindness of God, the grace of God, which leads to repentance. And so we are to joyfully repent, saying, Lord, look at all the grace you've shown me. How could I not turn around? That's really the, the beauty and the scandal of the gospel. So I want to give you just a moment to confess before God your own sin, how you've been living for your name and your glory. And then we'll pray a prayer of confession on the screen together. Right now, just close your eyes. You and the risen Jesus. We offer you a repentance towards him. this prayer of confession on the screen here. Together. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Let's all take together. about our prayer team together. When we take communion like that, it's a spiritual formation moment in which we say God's glory looks really different than the world's glory. So we take bread like there, it's just representing brokenness, poured out love. That's glory. The world has a whole other category of glory that knows nothing of the kingdom of God. So we have an opportunity to live into that. We have our prayer team to my right. Before I just close us, we end every gathering with prayer. Because the work that the Spirit wants to do inside of you and being shy, you can't do it on your own strength. 
need the strength of the Spirit to do it. You need the empowerment of the Spirit to do it. And one of the ways that the Spirit empowers us is through prayer, by receiving prayer and offering prayer ourselves. So you can come forward to receive prayer for whatever you need. Maybe you're not even a Christian today. Maybe someone invited you, you've been coming to New Life, but you've never, you've never asked the Holy Spirit to live inside of you because of Jesus. And so today, what an opportunity to say yes to Christ. And when you say yes to Jesus, he says, now I will give you my spirit. And you will live the kind of life that you could not live otherwise. And so if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never said yes to Christ, you've never said, Lord, Jesus, would you live inside of me? Would you change my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? We have our prayer team here that would love to pray for you. And for whatever need you have, you can come up for prayer. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. So with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, being shy. May your life point to Jesus. May the centrality of Christ be the central focus of your life. May you bear witness to the beautiful truth of this Trinitarian love, offering grace and mercy to those around you this morning. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everyone.